0: Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton.
1: One of the things here is like in county care there's this native population of red deer. But there are there is a you know ongoing discussion and debate about calling those deer. But they need to be called because there's too many of them, there's too many of them, they're getting malnutrition. When they're getting malnutrition, the body size dropped. When the body size dropped, they're getting prone to crossbreed
0: with smaller seekers. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered Podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 125, Managing Human-Wildlife Interactions. In this week's episode, I'm talking with Tommy Serafinski about managing human-wildlife interactions. Now, this discussion is going to be based on the differences between the process in the United States and the process with Ireland. Tommy's an outdoorsman. Podcaster, blogger, and YouTube creator from Ireland, hence why we're having this discussion. During the talk, Tommy's going to help us to understand our current relationship with nature, the process of managing wildlife in Ireland, and how it differs from the US, and the ethics of hunting and angling. Let's just dive right in. Hey, welcome back, everyone. On the line today, all the way from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, Tommy Serafinski. Tommy, how you doing today?
1: Hey, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity, Jason.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, it's early in the morning for me when we're recording. Uh, it's probably, what, afternoon or evening time for yeah, you right now? Yeah, 12, 12, 16 p.m. Okay, okay. So, you know, it's... Um, it, it, it's an interesting concept that we're going to be talking about today in my head because we're talking about hunting, uh, we're talking about the human relationship with, with animals and nature, things like that. Uh, and, you know, when I feel like a lot of people, uh, when they think about, you know, England and Ireland and, you know, sort of Europe, when I say a lot of people, a lot of people in the United States, uh, we think of the sort of old guard. Uh, type thing of hunting where it's like, um, you know, sort of like Robin Hood, right? Like you have Sherwood Forest and only the nobles can hunt. So uh, I'm excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into that, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was what you think the current human relationship is with nature uh, from your perspective across the pond.
1: Right. I mean, I think I don't, I'm not going to say anything surprising. The one word disconnected, right? <laughs> there are no surprises here. And you you can, you can, you can take that all the way from, you know, how we, uh, where we, where we're we getting our food from and, you know, how we, how we going to recreate and how we perceive nature and obviously, there is, this is a subject that you know we can spend hours talking about it. Um, there are good reasons for that. There are good reasons for that, for you know where the kind of center of our life revolves in the in the urban areas, and naturally, people are are getting less and less connected to nature. And you can even hear that in a, you know, you can over, often hear the expression to go to nature, right? well, or, or something like, oh, it's natural, it's not natural, right? And it's always like, well, humans are natural too, right? Unless you think that we were dropped here by aliens, you know, otherwise everything that humans do are also natural. And um, so, yeah, this is, I, I think this is theme, and I'm sure this is a theme also in, in your podcast, that uh, people who are more living in the rural areas, people who hunt and fish, are you know I, I have way more this connection with nature and and even you know it, it it not necessarily means that they never go to the grocery store or they don't use the internet right we're just recording this podcast over the over the internet uh but even just awareness it's even, it, you know even just awareness and, and it's surprising you know how many people don't even have awareness of you know what's going on um yeah so that's a long answer to your
0: short question <laughs> My next question is, you know, with the pandemic, um, you know, and everyone really around the world having the quarantine and and having, you know, it seemed like the world sort of shut down for a lot of people Um, And in in the United States, unless you were an essential worker, you you know, the idea was you're supposed to stay home for two weeks. It ended up being, you know, a couple months. Um, Restaurants were shut down. uh, Movie theaters were shut down. All the sort of like regular things that people would do in society, you couldn't really do. Or even if something was open, a lot of people didn't feel comfortable going because it was inside, they were trying to protect themselves, uh, things of that nature. So we found that there were more people going outside, going to our national parks. Uh, There was an, uh, an increase in hunting license sales for almost every state in the United States. Uh, There was an increase in fishing license sales in every single state in the United States. Uh, You know, and state agencies sort of capitalized on that by uh, providing more free fish days for people throughout the year and things like that. Was there something similar happening across the pond or uh, Mm. at least, you know, did it seem like more people were like, I just need to get out of the house and I'm going to go on a hike or I'm going to try hunting or anything like that? yeah um, I, I, you know I think there
1: the difference is that uh, although United States have a, like a regulations per state there you, you still largely can talk about in general as a United States right in Europe you know every country dealt with that differently and you know me being in Ireland is really hard for me to talk about other European countries I can tell you know talk about Ireland and, and uh, what I heard about um, it, 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 it was generally different than what you described. Um, again, with the nature of the lockdown. So for example, when, when that whole thing started, you know we had a, we had a fairly draconian lockdown because it was like two kilometers from your front door you were allowed to go. Uh, right. then they I, then I expanded to five kilometers. then it was for the longest time that you can only travel within your county. So when your hunting ground is outside your county, like in my case, I couldn't go hunting. Um, so it, it, so it, it it all depends, you know. And then with the first lockdown here, you specifically couldn't go hunting. Like, why, right? And and obviously you you got all those conspiracy theories. Oh, because greenies are trying to curb hunting because of that. All that you know. I don't know how much true is that. Maybe probably little. Um, but then. Um Then it, so my point is here, I guess it depends on the, on the specificity and on the regulations and how the lockdown was implemented. For sure, what, what, what you could notice and what, what you could hear that the people start noticing nature more, even from so for example, in the UK and in Ireland, bird watching exploded. People started noticing birds in their backyard. They start putting feeders on and photographing them, and you know some people there, you know that keep them sane. And that was this moment when they kindly kind of woke up to like, oh, there is something outside of, you know, going in the evening to the pub and so on. They're like, all these birds in my backyard, and they are just like, you know, yeah, those birds were there all the time. So that's one thing. Um, Secondly, uh, you know, nearby where I live, I live about you know less than kilometer from the shore. Um, so I was lucky like that because even in this two kilometer lockdown, I still couldn't go out fishing. And what I noticed, you know, the marks that was hardly anyone ever, maybe like a, you know, dog walker in the morning. All of a sudden, all these people there, you know, the beach looked like a damn car park because everybody parked. And then summer was the summer and we still had a, some sort of a lockdown in summer. So all those people who traditionally fly to Spain and, and France for holidays, they couldn't go anywhere. So they stayed here. So it was like a crowded place, right? So, like on one hand, you may say, like, yeah, they're, you know, using local resources and they're going on the beach. On the like for me, it was like, Where are those damn people? Get out of my marts. You know, I want to go fishing and <laughs> don't have to put up with your dogs walking everywhere. Um, so that was another thing that, that uh, but, you know, my observation was for me and for my fishing uh, was that I actually started fishing more those places that are close to my home, which Norm, you know, and, and I even wrote a blog about it on my website that, um, that like how often you go somewhere for a fishing market is better. And I, you know, end up driving for 20, 40 minutes somewhere because there's this great fishing bar over there and the reef and the whatever, like in the tide comes in, they're swirling. Well, I have a places over here, which I don't really know that much anymore anyway, because, you know, it's close to home. So after a while, you stop where you're looking for something new. So for me, it was a lot of like kind of this rediscovering all those marks that are around me. Because like, oh, you know, I, I can go here. I, I can't go anywhere else, so I can go there. So these that's my uh, my my observations in, in terms of, uh, yeah, so just to summarize. Yeah, definitely people start noticing nature more. Um, but in terms of hunting and fishing and all that, I don't think there was any uptick um, because of a specificity of the lockdowns and, and restrictions.
0: You, you know, looking at social media uh, through, you know, those lockdowns and stuff, it, you definitely, I came across a lot of people posting pictures of birds and this new bird feeder and they were, you know, the same bird that they thought was coming in. So they're naming birds and stuff. And it, it's what struck me the most of that, which I'm glad, like anytime people are noticing nature uh, and interacting with nature in some way, even if it's just a bird feeder outside their window, I think that's a great thing. But what struck me was that all of a sudden, you know, after, you know, maybe the first two weeks of of lockdowns and you've binge watch every show that you could possibly want to binge watch uh, that you're interested in on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Uh, all of a sudden, like we shifted from this, this man-made screen of entertainment to then this window of opportunity and what nature provides and it's unscripted and it's not anything that's you know entertainment directed to entertain us in a specific way or make us feel a specific way. It's just nature. It's just something that we're noticing. And it's like that window has been there the entire time that you've lived in that house or that apartment. And you don't look out that window except to see like, is it raining today or is it snowing today Or, or something like that? It's like, you know, talk about that, disconnect, you're looking at your phone, whether it's raining today. Yeah, yeah That's true. <laughs> that's true. You know, about so, disconnect with
1: nature, like, right. Raining and, today, let me look at my phone, like, no, it says it's not raining.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as great as that is, um, you know, the people are doing that, that the people did start noticing nature more. It's just it coming from you know, looking at it from my perspective, where I've grown up in the outdoors, I, I've been outside you know, even when I wasn't doing something like hunting or fishing or hiking, um, I played baseball. So, you know, even that was like human organized, but it was still outside, right? Like I've always been outside and it was almost disheartening to me, right? That people are like, oh, look what I found. And it's like, (laughs) you should, you should be seeing that all the time. Like you should be noticing that you should be interested in that stuff. Um, You know, we're, we're just as much animals and, and part of nature as, you know, a deer or uh, songbirds or any, you know, turkey, anything that you see out there. And, you know, we've sort of, I feel like as a society, we've worked to disconnect away from that, as you said, you know, we're, we're very disconnected. Uh, so I agree with that 100%. I mean, we're going to talk a little, we're going to talk mainly about hunting here. Uh, I got to know what's it like to hunt in Ireland? Uh, Because I have, like I, like I mentioned at the very beginning, people in the United States, like we think of like the guys in the tweed vests with the, with the hats and, um, you know, they're sort of like, I don't know, nobility type people like the wealthy people and sort of a little bit uppity and uh, meanwhile, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here today in a in a camouflage hoodie. You know, not that I wear this hunting, but you know, we, we people in the U.S. I'm sure, I'm sure, there's a lot of people that think, uh, you know, the rednecks, right, uh, or Elmer Fudd in the United States. But what's it like to hunt in Ireland?
1: Yeah. So again, uh, <clears throat> I need to start at. You know, there's a lot of quite often people from the from the U.S. might confuse you know, U.K. Great Britain and Ireland, um, I feel like it's a little bit different and that type of, uh, you know, nobility and like 100%, but, it, you know, I, I feel like this is more, definitely more in the UK, and definitely more on the continent and continental Europe, a little bit less in, in, in Ireland. And you know, one, one thing is like I personally, you know, I, I even think about this in, in, in categories of like a American style of hunting and European style of hunting. And, and where you know, like American style of hunting is like, you know, is very casual, like like you, like you say, it was just buddies going hunting. And and in fairness, this is m- way more my experience in Ireland. Versus when you talk about uh, hunting in the UK or even in Poland, you know, we st- we, we we talk before we start recording that I, I originally came from Poland. It's more of a you know organized, and the people you know they're they're dressing up nicely, and there's like a atmosphere of an event and you know it's it's more like a like a skiing or golfing event you know people are are showing up in their new cars and everybody you know, what car this guy drove and like you know he has a new hunting boots and what what rifle do you have right um and, and I, 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 you know, I much prefer this, what I call American style of hunting, which is like more casual, more connected with nature. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a, less of a social event and more of a kind of event where you go to nature. That's my feeling. Um, you know, in terms of hunting in Ireland, I only started hunting when I moved to Ireland. And one of the things is that I felt like how easy was it to get into hunting? In Ireland. Uh, and I think a lot of that is to do with a, this is a small country. There is not, not many people, like what, 5 million people in a, in a country. And although the firearm regulations are one of the strictest in Europe, which makes it probably the strictest, you know, good candidate for the strictest in the world, to get a rifle for hunting is not that difficult. Uh, you, you, need to, you need to meet certain criteria, but in general, this is not difficult. You can get a rifle for, for hunting. And Um, You know, the land, majority of the land is is owned privately, so you need to know a farmer, and then again, it's something that um, many people think it's difficult to do, but I found this, you know, farmers are very welcoming, and especially that, you know, they're see deer as a competition for grazing for, for cattle. So uh, the whenever I ask farmer whether he's okay to hunt on his ground, um, the answer, you know, the only times when when they refuse is when they already give permission to some other hunters. It's like you know I have a guy he's you know he's he's coming here for many years and you know that's uh, uh, fair enough. But usually it's like you know I'm even coming back from a hunt and I'm put, putting rifle back into the into the uh, car. And a farmer shows up and starts chatting and at the end of a chat, you know, without the dog, he was like, oh, do you want to hunt my land too? You know, so they're like kind of, uh, so it it was very easy and it was definitely easier to get into hunting here uh, for me, even being for a national, than it would be in Poland, where you have these strict rules, you need to be member of a club and then you need to do some, you know, uh, work for two years and then you need to do this and need to do that. In Ireland, it's like I think it's only this year when they even introduced a mandatory training course. Before that, you didn't, you didn't even have to, which is bad. You know, I'm not arguing that this is good, but I'm just it's my argument like how, how easy it was. You know, you you need you need to basically uh, tick the box that you have a permission for the firearm, and you can put the for the deer hunting license to National Wildlife what National Parks and Wildlife Service, and you get the deer hunting license and off you go um so so that's my my uh impressions of hunting in ireland a- again i want to caveat that i'm a foreign national i'm kind of like it was dropping here and i had to figure out everything on my own how to do this thing uh but my my feeling was it was very easy it's very affordable and like i said i i don't you know i i, I don't have to be in a club i don't have to you know um, deal with like a massive, you know, events that we're doing this big hunt. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not intending to put that down. There is a, there's a, uh, you know, part of that that is nice as well. But what I call it again, my terminology, more like American style of hunting that, you know, like I, I feel like I'm going hunting. I'm putting my rifle in the back of my car, drive to the farm when I have a permit on and, you know, I,
0: I, I hunt deer. So, yeah, that does sound very similar to what I've what I would say probably 98% of Americans, you know, interact hunting, you know, over here. Uh, We do have some organized hunting, uh, you know, opening day of dove season in the state of Virginia is very organized, uh, you know, getting guys together over a a crop field and and things like that. Um, You know, we do have like in Pennsylvania, uh, the state that I'm, I'm from, uh, you know, we have uh, some, a style of hunting that's very common around here is, you know, deer drives, right? So, I mean, it's still very casual, right? Like everyone, you know, a bunch of friends or family will get together. It's still casual, but then everyone, when you get together, say like, okay, you know, these people are going to stand here. These people are going to walk here and try to sort of push deer out uh, to those people that are standing. And that's really, I feel like probably the most, the most sort of structure Outside of, you know, like I I think about my family, you know, archery season, you know, it, it, it's me and my uncle, mainly every once in a while, my, my, my father will come uh, archery hunting too. And, you know, we have 70 acres that we own that, that we'll go out on. And I mean, as structured as we get is the morning that, you know, in the morning we're eating breakfast, where are you going, where are you going, you know, what stand are you going to sit in type thing. Um, outside of that, it's, you know, pretty Un unstructured it's doing Mm -hmm. whatever you sort of feel like doing for the day Uh, i have to ask you you're mentioning deer hunting you know in the united states we have mainly white tailed deer but then we also have mule deer and uh, black tail uh, and sitka deer up in alaska what kind of deer do you have in ireland
1: uh so we have three species of deer uh, mainly one of them is native deer uh the red deer which is, you know, like an elk, uh, a little bit smaller body than elk, but still, you know, pretty sizable. Um, well, uh, it's, it's, you know, you can find red deer that is bigger than your average elk. It, it, kind of the same thing, you, 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 you know, I'm sure. And then we have a fallow deer, and then we have sika uh, deer, which is uh, obviously Japanese deer, non-native. Mm-hmm. Um, where I live. Uh, mainly sika deer is, uh, is, a, is a target species. In a county, in the County Kerry where I live, um, red deer is protected because uh, what is happening is that in, in, in County Kerry, there's a native population of red deer, which doesn't have, which is, you know, not hybridized with Sika's. While more in the North and, and, in, and in Wicklow in the, in the East, uh there is a population of red deer but those red deer are you know more or less uh hybridized with sika, so they're not protected uh so we can hunt the red deer there while in county Kerry, you cannot you cannot hunt red deers um but yeah so mainly sika, and then depending you know on the on the region there are regions where the fallow is a mostly um deer that you that you hunt
0: you know, I, I didn't even know about Sika deer until just a couple years ago, um, watching oh. an episode of Meat Eater. We actually do have mm-hmm. a, in the United States, we have a small population of Sika deer mm-hmm. in, um, I believe it's Maryland. In Maryland, um, yep. And, uh, you know, invasive species type deal, you know, brought in mm-hmm. from Japan, mm-hmm. small a uh, hunt mm-hmm. club deal. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't even know about them. I, and then I didn't even know that that you could get a hybrid deer between red deer and Sika. And uh, That's yeah. interesting. But,
1: yeah what's happening is um that it, it so why they're not hybridizing in county Kerry and and so what's happening is that it all depends on the body size and um one of the things that is i'm sure you're well aware of all the controversies about the calling deer and all that crap so one of the things here is like in county Kerry there's this native population of red deer but there are there is a you know ongoing discussion and debate about calling those deer, but they need to be called because there's too many of them. There's too many of them. They're getting malnutrition. Where they're getting malnutrition, the body size dropped. When the body size dropped, they're getting prone to crossbreed with smaller seekers. So that's what that's what was happening uh, very likely in Wicklow, that. Some of the some of the uh, reds were just smaller body size and then they
0: hybridized with sika's. So
1: that's uh that's how it worked.
0: It, it, I mean the Sika deers are, are not native, right? Mm-hmm. Because they come from Japan. Is there any talk in Ireland about just we need to eliminate Sika deer from the landscape? Uh,
1: there are some some voices like that, but I think um, there is no there is no way of doing that. There's you know there's like so number one they they obviously are very praised by by hunters as a as a as a game species. Um, there there is obviously talk about controlling them and you know and and one of my kind of discussion points that I often talk on my podcast is like well, are they really invasive? You know, there are non-native, but if something is non-native, doesn't necessarily mean they're invasive. Uh, you know, um, I don't think that particularly that they're invasive uh, species. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people like them. They're nice little deer. They're, they're very tasty. Um, they're, you know, so no, I, I didn't hear, you know, there are voices here and there, but there's not not a serious debate about that. There's, there's definitely a discussion about that, that we need to control deer numbers in Ireland. Um, but again, one of the specificity, is that we don't really have any deer census. We don't really know what are the numbers. You know, there are some projects that are, you know, ongoing or due to be completed soon. But really, for many, many years there was no deer census. So we have anecdotal information from the hunters, you know, oh, they're moving here, they're spreading, they're, you know, but is it is it just a shift in the population or is it growth of the population? Like nobody really knows. And as you know you can get a number of people and they say what they see, but that not necessarily means what is happening globally. You know, without a doubt, uh, we have too many deer in Ireland. Uh, Without a doubt, there are, um, you know, they seriously impacting the environment, especially in in Wicklow. Um,
0: And yeah, you know. Yeah, you mentioned those anecdotal you know observations that that hunters get and it it always you know hearing other people talk about that always makes me think of just on our property you know my my grandfather that um you know has still been going out hunting into his 80s uh he's been lamenting for the last you know five six seven years that there's just there's not enough deer there's not enough deer um you know he hunts maybe three days a year you know now and um you know uh, I try to you know show them you know from trail camera pictures how many deer that we're seeing you know I'm what we're walking you know I'll walk the property and you can see that you know young tree saplings are being browsed and and killed off and you know I'm hunting you know 20-30 days a year type thing up there and you know uh, you're seeing obviously a more when you, you you just have a, a larger sample size of, of you know the deer that are using the property and um, you know it's just when you get that sort of those anecdotal reports hmm. from hunters you definitely get a, a skewed aspect right? right because he's saying there's not enough deer but he's also shooting one or two deer every year so you know how many hmm. deer do you need to see <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Uh, type thing too so that and that's interesting to me that there's there hasn't been like a, a deer census because that is one of the huge things in the United States is uh, you know every state agency has a uh, you know a very specific mathematical formula to figure out the estimates of the deer based on the harvest and and different stuff and then we have you know multiple universities that are doing research studies with GPS collars um, you know our uh, sort of state university uh, Penn State you know. They have uh, an ongoing GPS study where they're trapping deer and and doing different stuff. Uh, It's like ingrained, you know, this idea of trying to figure out how many deer there are is ingrained in the United States culture. So to, to think that we would even go one year without, you know, studying these deer is amazing to me.
1: Man, like, I don't even want to go there, you know, I, I don't even want to sound like I'm giving out about, you know, how Ireland manages in general natural resources, you know, Ireland has this image of like being like a nature and green and whatever tourism, but when you're on the ground, there's nothing like that there, the nature has absolutely no priority of any sort, and it's just, yeah, I stop at that um yeah there's like a, you know there's there's a research on deer you know in the park there's a, there's a phoenix park in in dublin and they're studying deer in the park you know it's like okay um yeah that's that's one of the big things and you, you know like i was laughing actually because when i went into this uh, uh there's a there's a tra- you know that I, I mentioned that there's now this year they they probably gonna make a, a mandatory training course which is called uh hunters uh Hunt, hunter's assessment program hunters uh the h uh, cup it's called h cup or or equivalent anyway so i was on this on this course uh just just to learn just you know out of curiosity not because i had to do it And like the first chapter uh, oh hunter's competence assessment program now it came back to me and um so first chapter they teach you is like you need to you know you need to assess population before you do the call plan right? And everybody is scratching their head. It's like, well, we're here to learn how to hunt deer. Like we're not going to be doing call plan of any sort, right? But anyway, that's a, that's a, you know, in the syllabus, they're teaching that you need to know how many deer in this type of the year you go and whatever. And then it comes like a next, you know, module is like, how many deer is in that? Well, we actually don't know. I was like, didn't you just taught us in the first module, that first thing, you need to know how many deer you have. And then, you know, three modules later, it's like, no, we actually don't know how many. No, you know, probably. Yeah, I know, man. I, uh, yeah.
0: You've mentioned this calling. Uh, Calling in the United States is a very derogatory term uh, in the hunting space. Um, There have been many failure
1: of management it's a yes. failure of, of management. yeah
0: so you know the we have a huge population of white tailed deer and that's typically what you hear uh people talk about species when they talk about calling uh and the areas that always have the biggest issue with the number of deer are the areas of what we call suburbia right where you have a bunch of homes just enough green space for those deer to be able to live and thrive on eating landscaping of these nice homes. Uh, And, you know, so, but because it's suburban um, and the land's not quite enough, typically they don't allow hunting to take place in there. The deer numbers get crazy out of control. They, uh, community leaders will then come together and decide we're going to call these deer because, uh, you know, have a company come in to call these deer because residents are, Mad because they're hitting them with their cars and they're eating their, mm. their flowers and things like that. Um, there's actually a community not too far uh, from where I live that that tried this, uh, and it every calling program that I am aware have uh, I am aware of has failed, if not miserably, spectacularly, uh, just because of the nature of it. Uh, The fact that um, what for it to really make a large impact would need to be done for 10, 15, 20 years, and communities don't want to pay for that for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, What seems to have a sustained impact is when a community decides to uh, set up a program for archery hunters to come and and sort of... um, you know, do a a call, but it's still a hunt, right? It's still Mm -hmm. everything you would normally do hunting just in a different setting. Uh, So that, I feel like that all leads into the sort of ethics of hunting. How is hunting and fishing and just that, those sort of concepts, how are they perceived in Ireland? Is it something that has uh, general community support? or is it something that is sort of looked down upon as something that is either unnecessary or uh, shouldn't be done?
1: Uh, Well, it, 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 again, depends where you ask. If you're, if you're, you know, in the rural areas where, where there is, you know, farmers, mainly farmers or people who are of, of farming descent, their father farmed or something, they're kind of, you know, understand, they know hunting and then, you know, they're, they're keen on venison and stuff like that. Obviously, when you talk about, you know, people in the cities, you know, you you might not have uh more and, and I I even had a you know and, and again, this is this is all the same. This is not different than than in the United States, I'm I'm sure, you know. I I had on a on a podcast and and um uh lady from the political party. And we were talking about the deer and all that, and like, yeah, deer need to be controlled, whatever, right? And then, so obviously, then I throw out, it's like, well, you know, so why not, you know, promote recreational hunters? Uh, You know, they can put the money into the budget, and you know, at the same time, do the job, and you know, and thank you, not only thank you and pay you for that, right? And then the answer is like, oh, I don't know whether it's a good idea to promote someone to kill deer for fun, right? Like as if like if they regret it and hated doing this then it's okay to go hunt right but because they it, so it's like and i know these conversations are going on in the united states it's, it's 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 all the same it's it's all it's all the same you know and it it ties into this disconnect that we that we touch on top of the show that people who understand you know how nature works um they they have a different approach because and again, I, I just hate repeating something that you probably was said on your show 25,000 times and the same on my show, but here you go, I'll do it again. This is probably the best death for that deer when, when, when Hunter shoots it, right? Otherwise, especially in our and we, we don't have a natural predators, you know, it's going to be hit by a car or starved to death. That's like, you know, that's not quick death. That's 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 very unpleasant, violent type of death. So, um, but there's a still this sort of thing like, oh, if you if you kill that animal, and this is you know, and you like it, and this is pleasure for you that you go on a hunt, it, then somehow it makes it bad, you know. Which is which is again, uh, I, I believe that people who have this opinions they haven't really spent much time thinking about it, and. They just getting you know like a second hand opinion what, what, what I what I called right they heard some somewhere uh, and, and we know like life is fast these days like quick 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 lots of information so you get this information and you quickly try to find answer to it and here it is an answer bang you move on right without even actually thinking about it um, but like I said when when you know in the rural area where where I live like like farmers are very supportive of hunting and even people who you know they're working in the, in the towns and they're working technology or whatever but their father their grandfather was was a farmer uh they like oh you have venison like give me a call if you have some venison <laughs> would you know and they well aware where that mm-hmm. venison come from right it's not growing on a tree it's not from a supermarket so um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a long answer to short.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, that divide is very prevalent in the United States too. Um, I, I will say, you know, just recently a study in the United States was done, um, it's done, I, I wanna say it's like every 10 years or so uh, about the perception of hunting and all that stuff. And, um, you know, at, the, at this point, at the time of the last study was released, uh, hunting was never perceived by more positively by more people um than it was at that last study here in the United States as long as you're hunting for food uh you Mm. know the the quote-unquote sport hunting uh or Mm. quote-unquote trophy hunting um Mm -hmm. you know as those people uh like to define it when they're answering those questions in their head uh that you know that approval was much lower, but, um, you know, hunting for food, and that's the one thing, you know, you mentioned, you know, talking to political leaders, and, well, you know, should we allow hunting, be, you know, someone to go and kill something for fun? Uh, oftentimes, those, those people tend to all that have issues with hunting, also tend to be the same people that are buying their meat from the grocery store, you know, where it's like, well, you know, how, how do you think that meat, like you said, it doesn't grow on trees, right? Like, there, as you mentioned at the beginning, and and this is okay if you're having fun eating that thing. Yeah, right. Like, and that's something that, you know, you mentioned that we talk about a lot is that just that general disconnect of where food comes from, disconnect with nature, how nature works. Like, okay, I, I get that you, you know, you in quotes, don't want to go out and shoot a deer. That's not something you're interested in. And I'm perfectly fine with that. However, would you rather that individual deer, like you say, die of starvation or get hit by a car and have the slow, painful death, or would you rather it be quick and painless, right? Like not painless. It's not painless. I'm sure it hurts, but would you rather it be quick, right? From, Mm -hmm. from a hunter. Um, You know, when you start breaking it down like that, it tends to open people's mind up a little bit. Um, But sometimes people are just crazy closed-minded when it comes to that kind of thing. So You know, it's just it's a it's a tricky thing to talk about with a lot of people because you're talking about an animal that that typically people think are cute, and then you're talking about death. And anytime you're mixing those two things together, that's Mm -hmm. gonna that's gonna be a a tough conversation to have.
1: But you know what? Like again, uh, on the on the vein of our disconnection with nature, I think personally, I think that this this has a lot to do with our own you know, a kind of disconnect and denial of death. You know, we, in general, most of people, modern people are very uncomfortable speaking about the death, their own death. And and I think this extends uh, to then perceiving death of other animals, Uh, you know, and it's quickly, it is easy to be quickly labeled as this, you know, killing, you know, psychopath, whatever, like, but I, I truly believe that if, if we had a healthier, you know, approach to our own mortality and our own death, we would also have a healthier approach to, you know, death of the animal that, that dies and sometimes it dies from the hand of
0: a hunter. That's a very astute way to look at that I, and that's something I hadn't considered before, you know, that our perception of our own death clouds our judgment uh, and perception of animal animals dying out in the wild, uh, that, that's, I'm, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. That, that is intriguing. That's very intriguing. Yeah, Tommy, you mentioned a couple times, uh, you know, the, the blog and the podcast. Uh, let everyone know where they can find the podcast, where they can find uh, your blog, and, and if they're interested in hearing more about you, uh, what they can, where they can go for that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, so uh, the best way to find me is uh, TommySoutdoors.com. Uh, that's a website and that's a blog where you have a podcast there obviously podcast is on all podcast platforms Spotify Apple you, you know you, people who listen to the podcast <laughs> already know where to find the podcast so Tommy's Outdoors uh, you'll find it there Tommy'sOutdoors.com. you have a link to all the social media platforms in there Twitter is particularly uh, one that I like but uh, also on YouTube and you, you will have all the links there um and yeah i have a lot of material also from the united states uh the latest episode is with a gentleman uh from alaska where we talk about subsistence hunting uh we had also a lot of episodes about uh africa hunting in africa m- m- you know both from the perspective of conservation as well as from the perspective of hunting and you know how to go on the hunt in africa a lot of episodes obviously about hunting in in europe in sweden in in poland in in uh uh, but, but also, you know, it's not only hunting related. There's uh, a lot of uh, episodes where I talk with uh, members of environmental NGOs, with um, scientists who do the research about the wildlife, uh, you know, marine wildlife and, and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm sure that anyone who has any interest in natural environment and the wildlife will find something interesting uh, on, on my podcast. So, yeah.
0: Well, Tommy, thanks for joining me. Uh, I recommend everyone go out and uh, start taking in some of your content. It's, it's pretty good. So, uh, you know, thanks again for coming on. And um, I enjoyed this conversation. So I have a feeling we're going to have to figure out our schedules again and, and try to have you back on. Anytime. Thank you for
1: opportunity. And, and thanks for having me on your show. And yeah, thanks a lot.
0: that'll do it for today's episode. I want to thank you all for listening, and I really want to thank Tommy for coming on and talking with me about this. You know, with him over in Ireland, scheduling uh, was a little bit of an issue, U.S. and Ireland, uh, but we were able to get it done, you know, that time difference, and uh, there's a couple takeaways from this conversation. Uh, One is just how avid of an outdoorsman and how passionate about conservation that Tommy is. It is really cool to talk to someone, that I feel like is a contemporary, someone who really understands and enjoys the outdoors as much as I do. Another takeaway from this is that while there are obvious differences between hunting in the United States and hunting in Ireland, how we manage wildlife populations in the U.S. and how we manage them in Ireland, there's there's major differences. There's still the common theme of needing to manage them that the vast majority of our society is disconnected from nature. And people like myself, people like probably you listening, people like Tommy, they are taking an active role in being part of nature. Not just observing from a distance, but actively taking a part in the process. And that's something that we can find worldwide. So it's always great to hear what might be slightly different views, or slightly different takes, or a slightly different process. the The main aspect is still the same, and I think that's one thing that can really uh, show how we can come together as a community and really have the proper conservation goals in place. Now, if Tommy interests you know, if Tommy piqued some of your interests, uh, which he piqued mine. Uh, Make sure you check out all that he has to offer. He's got the YouTube channel. He's got the blog. He has the podcast. Uh, Tommyoutdoors.com is where you can find all of that stuff wrapped up in one space. So you don't have to go to each different one. Once you find what, you know, maybe you check out the podcast, you like it, make sure you subscribe to it. Same thing with his YouTube channel. Sign up for his emails so you get notifications on uh, blog posts as he puts them out. He really has a a really cool concept, and you can definitely tell he has a desire to learn and adjust his views based on what he learns. Again, sort of felt like I was talking to myself at times. (laughs) Thank you again for joining me for this episode. I really appreciate it. Make sure you check back next week. And don't forget these episodes are being released on Fridays now, so make sure you plan your listening accordingly. Until next week, get outside, take someone with you, and stay wild.